the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya Show. Today, there's a book out called Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. It's about the climate, and it's written by a guy who used to be associated with Greenpeace, Dr. Patrick Moore. He is next. Now, it's time for some sanity. It's the Michelle Tafoya Podcast. Dr. Patrick Moore has a history with the with Greenpeace and now has written a couple of books um, where he's positioning himself as a more sensible environmentalist. It's going to be really interesting to hear from him. Now, Greenpeace has tried to distance itself from Dr. Moore. We'll ask him about that as well. But he's been out there sort of, you know, um, banging the drum about how AOC and the climate army is maybe going a little too far. So I thought we should talk to him about that and hear his side of this. It's very interesting. He's been active in the environment for uh, 50 years. So this will be a very good conversation. In the meantime, if you're still out there looking for a Mother's Day gift, I've got you covered. Genucel.com, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com. And right now, a great offer to save over 70% off one of the most popular packages. Now, why do I use Genucel? Because it's formulated with skin-nourishing antioxidants and powerful peptides, and it's manufactured and made right here in the USA. And it was formulated by a pharmacist with high-quality ingredients. And I've noticed that fine lines and wrinkles disappear, or at least, you know, almost disappear. And new ones, well, they haven't been forming lately. My, my particular favorite is the Deep Firming Serum with stem cell technology, um, I put it on after I clean my face with a, with a cleanser of theirs. And uh, immediately my skin looks different. It just looks dewier and dare I say more youthful. As I said, right now, save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package featuring their ultra retinol that contains a powerful retinol alternative. It's safe on pregnancies, safe if you're breastfeeding. You'll also receive Genucel's dark spot corrector to reduce the appearance of dark marks and sunspots from those summer days outside. Plus you'll get Genucel's classic under eye bags therapy for those annoying under eye bags and puffiness. And with its immediate effects, see results in as little as 12 hours guaranteed or your money back. So what do you have to lose? Take care of mom. Celebrate her by going to genucel.com slash Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-E, to save over 70% off their most popular package. Plus, you'll get three free springtime essentials, a little gift there added in for Mom's Day. That's three free gifts plus free concierge shipping for a limited time. genucel.com slash Michelle, G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Michelle with one L. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome, Dr. Patrick Moore. I have to say, the background is quite exotic. Why don't you uh, just give us a sense of where you are, because we're also getting some really beautiful sound effects behind you. Well, my wife Eileen and I have, going into our 51st year now, oh. uh, traveled Mexico a lot when we were younger. When we met, we took two-month trips down in a Volkswagen camper van, 
uh, and have seen pretty well every part of Mexico over the years, but never ever imagined that we'd build a house here. But 23 years ago, we came down to Cabo Pulmo where some of our friends had already built and saw the coral reef here. And I came up, we'd been here three days, I came up from snorkeling and said to Eileen, that's it, you know, we're building we're here. <laughs> we're building, so we're, so we've built, built a house fairly well back from the seashore because it's not good to be on the beach in hurricane country. Right. But uh, it's a beautiful spot. There's only about 200 homes here, about half Spanish, Mexican, and half English gringos. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it, it, mostly Americans, but there's a, a smattering of, of we Canadians here too. And it has just this absolute special feel about it. It's we have no electricity here. Everybody's solar, and uh, wow. we, but we do have but we do have a cell tower, and I have Starlink, so uh, we're up to speed. You, you can communicate from there beautifully, as we as you know this connection is is perfect. So we're grateful for that, and and I enjoy hearing the sounds in the background of the birds and the different creatures. It's it's quite something. Um, I introduced you as being one of the co-founders of Greenpeace, and recently Greenpeace has taken you to task for that claim, and I want to read a couple of things that they've published, because I just want to set the table here and make sure that our audience understands who you are and what your background is. They say, Patrick Moore has been a paid spokesman for a variety of polluting industries for more than 30 years, including the timber, mining, chemical, and the aquaculture industries. Most of these industries hired Mr. Moore only after becoming the focus of a Greenpeace campaign to improve their environmental performance. Mr. Moore has now, I note that they don't call you Dr. Moore. Mr. Moore has now worked for polluters for far longer than he ever worked for Greenpeace. Greenpeace opposes the use of nuclear energy because it is dangerous and expensive and a distraction from real solutions to climate change. Why would they write that about you? They wrote that about me because I wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, which was titled, A Green Goes Nuclear. And it was basically my coming out after all the years that I had had to keep my mouth shut uh, because I was in Greenpeace and we weren't dealing with nuclear energy particularly, but everybody in Greenpeace pretty much was opposed to nuclear energy. And we were fighting against nuclear war and nuclear weapons. And that to me is a completely different kettle of fish from nuclear energy. The mistake was made of, of lumping nuclear energy in with nuclear weapons when nuclear energy should be lumped in with nuclear medicine as a beneficial use of nuclear technology. And nuclear medicine is taken for granted and is a very important part of diagnosis and treatment in medicine. And nuclear energy could reduce fossil fuel consumption by 50%. I'm not against fossil fuels because of CO2. CO2 is a benefit, and there's no doubt about it, and we can talk about that. Yeah. But the fact is nuclear energy could really reduce the use of fossil fuels, which would stretch them out for a longer period of time because they're so important for certain functions like flying, for example, right, and, and bringing freight in to the cities from the country, uh, including all our food. So you're, you're not going to have battery-operated semis. It's just not going to happen, and you're not going to have a complete wind-solar system with battery backup like they are dreaming about. It can't happen. It's, in, it's technically and economically impossible to do it. So th th these are the kinds of reasons why Greenpeace dis discards me 
now, after 15 years of fighting in, in the front lines, I was a director of Greenpeace for those whole 15 years. I was president of the founding organization for two years before we created Greenpeace International right. in 79, of which I became a director and right to the end of my ten tenure there. But when the environmental movement lost its humanitarian uh, aspect, green means environment, peace means people, and it's about people. And we used we cared about not having a nuclear war, not just because it would hurt the environment, but of course the main damage would be to the human species if there was a nuclear war, because that's who they'd be aiming them at. And so we stopped U.S. underground hydrogen bomb testing. We went up our first campaign. We went up against the world's most powerful organization, which was the U.S. Nuclear Energy Commission, and they were blowing off hydrogen bombs in Alaska. Then we went after French atmospheric nuclear testing. France was still testing many nuclear devices every year in the atmosphere in French Polynesia. We stopped that. Then we turned our attention to the whales. And the anti-nuclear people in Greenpeace said, what? Whales? What's that got to do with whatever? And so we lost a lot of our peaceniks uh, at that point, about four years into it. But, but we gained a huge following of people who understood that it was just completely ridiculous to still be killing 30,000 great whales in the Pacific Ocean every year. Right, and it was right. Russian and Japanese fleets that were doing it, and we stopped that. It took yeah. five years to do it, but it, we did it, stop it. So so they. it sounds to me as though they're at odds with you, and they, they say that Greenpeace says that you are uh, a paid spokesperson for the nuclear industry. Are they right? No, I was not a spokesperson for the nuclear industry, except that I was co-chair of the Clean and Safe Energy Coalition. My co-chair was Christy Todd Whitman, former governor of New Jersey and former head of the EPA under Bush II. And so it was a, a, a totally public and open thing that I was in support of nuclear energy from a scientific point of view. And because I, I have a PhD in ecology and an honors Bachelor of Science in Biology and Forestry, and I have an honorary do doctorate of science from North Carolina State University, and I was awarded the National Award for Nuclear Science and History in 2009 while I was doing this work with the Nuclear Institute. So yes, I'm, I'm in favor of nuclear energy, and they should not be calling it a polluting industry. Now, they, they call forestry a polluting industry. They call agriculture a polluting industry. You know, and I, I work with these people to help them get through this thicket of accusations that are made that are false. And, of course, why I wrote my book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, was to expose the falsehoods that are being spread as scare stories. And the, 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 my, what I sort of jokingly call the universal theory of scare stories. Well, yeah, is, I, is the fact that they are that they're all about things that are either invisible or so remote nobody can f see it for themselves, and that's why polar bears and coral reefs are the icons because they're basically invisible to most people. And the same thing with CO two and radiation. Now we need radiation to survive. Radiation has played a huge role in the evolution of life in that it causes mutations, and mutations are what cause evolution to go forward. So when we, when we go out in the sun, we're going out into radiation. You don't well, want much radiation because it can kill you. Right. But you, a little bit of it 
very many of the top physicists in the world believe in a thing called hormesis. The word is never used in, in the public press for some reason. Hormesis is the hypothesis, which is pretty much proven, that small amounts of radiation are beneficial because they challenge your body's cellular repair mechanism. The first rule of toxicology is the poison is in the dose. Take table salt, for example, which is an essential nutrient. In other words, if you don't take table salt, you will die. But if you eat a cup of it all at once, you will <laughs> die too, right? So It's always it, a matter of balance, isn't it? It is. Well, there's some things that you just shouldn't uh, put in your body, like cyanide, for example. But <laughs> there, is a, a, there is a level at which it will not harm you because your body is capable of repairing damage that is done to it. If it couldn't, we'd die the, the day after we were born, practically. And so the fact is we are constantly repairing and replacing cells in our body. And as long as that happens faster than the damage being caused by some intruding chemical, you will not die. You will not get sick. You, you will stay healthy because your body is repairing itself faster than it's being damaged. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay. All right. Let's let's take a pause here. And I want to get back to whales because we've had a number of dead whales wash up, wash up along the eastern seaboard. And a number of people are pointing to the windmills that are being the offshore windmills that are being built. I wonder what your stance is on this. Well, what the, the worst thing about this is that NOAA, the National uh, Administration for Oceans and Etc. Etc. I forget what NOAA stands for all the time. I'll look it up while you're talking. Go ahead. But uh, it is a, one of the largest uh, administrations in the federal government. They're saying that they do not believe that this is because of this, the, the wind turbine program, which they say they're going to put 1,500 massive 15 megabyte meg, meg, megawatt uh, turbines out off the Atlantic coast. They are doing seismic surveys now. Whales are acoustic creatures. They use sound for a lot of their communication and, and seeing what's around them. Echolocation is part of whale uh, functioning. Right. And so th this is thought to possibly be involved in it, disorienting them, um, who knows what. Uh, there's already enough whales being killed before this by boats colliding with them because it's a huge shipping area there. But it's also the feeding ground for about 4,000 to 5,000 humpback whales, as well as endangered northern right whales, of which there are only 300 remaining. And they are considered an endangered species. 
And here they are. They're going to go out there and they're going to dig massive holes in the bottom of the ocean, stirring up vast amounts of sediment to put the concrete base for these wind turbines. When you have 15 megawatts of force on top of a 150-foot tower, you need a pretty big piece of concrete down at the bottom to hold it there from tipping over. You can't just stick it in the bottom of the ocean. Right. It's 100 feet deep and 40 feet wide type size of things. So they're going to be 1,500 of these are going to be built over a period of 5, 10 years. This the water will always be muddy, muddy and murky. And whales are filter feeders. Uh, th- th- both those species are filter feeders that filter food through their baleen. Right. And, and, and it, it's just the stupidest thing you could ever do. Is well, to- it's, it, it's, it's remarkable. There has been some, some backlash. By the way, Noah, you were talking about the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Yes, and um, the, person, the person who is responsible for, for its species in NOAA says he believes it's possible. He, 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 he says in the media, but they cover it up, go up to the top political level people who are saying that they don't think it's, and they don't have any clue about whales. They're just, they're just high level. They're they're married to this, they're married to this green energy uh, ideology, which they would like to see American taxpayers foot the bill for in numbers that we really haven't seen before. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is sort of the godmother of uh, the Green New Deal. And, you know, look, it all sounds nice, right? It, it sounds beautiful. We're going to have clean air, clean water, et cetera. But some of the things that they're proposing seem to benefit everything but humanity. <laughs> and and I think, again, there's a, a balance here. For instance, if you say people in Texas can't have air conditioning, well, you're going to have a lot of people dead in Texas, right? That's right. And 82,000 uh, large birds of prey are killed each year by wind farms already. And the, the, the Obama gave the wind industry a pass on killing big birds. Everybody else would go to jail for what these guys are doing. And, and bats, it's like in the hundreds of thousands of bats being killed at night. Uh, they, I don't know why they're attracted to wind farms, but they are. And this is this is being allowed to occur. But the real fact of the matter is I have said for a long time, not not in fun, that the wind and solar technology, all of the hardware for the solar farms and the wind turbines should have to be built with energy produced by wind and solar technology. And you, <laughs> but see, you can't. I mean, which would come first, the chicken or the egg? Well, there'd be nothing left to give the city because it takes a lot of energy to build these things. It, they're, they're huge amount of materials, like hundreds of times as much concrete for a wind farm than for a gas plant. And the same thing goes with the solar, with the area of land that it takes up. They're now taking up valuable agricultural land with these things. Mm-hmm. And there's no need for it. The fact of the matter is a combination of nuclear and natural gas would be as clean as you need to be. and Why and is that same, not acceptable to them, doctor? Nuclear has just been used as a boogeyman for decades because people are afraid of radiation and afraid of the nuclear waste when there's absolutely no need to be. There are more than 100 nuclear plants running 24-7 just in North America, in Canada and the United States. 
No one has ever been injured by them, never mind killed. There's never been an accident that caused a fatality in the nuclear industry in North America. In some labs, there have there were experiments done in some of the federal labs. I think there's a couple of deaths attributed to that because people were exposed where they shouldn't be. But the commercial nuclear reactors have never harmed a soul. And look how many people are hurt by oil and gas explosions and fires. You know, why don't why don't we ban that. Oh, well, yes, actually, that's what they want to do. They want to ban all that, too. So they want to ban virtually everything that actually works. But you think of, of wind and solar, it only produces electricity about a third of the time, each one of them. Solar is even less than wind. Because, of course, at half the time, 50% of the time, there's no sun. So that's not going to work. And with wind, it's about one third, maybe a little bit more in the best places. So what do you do the rest of the time right. to get electricity? And well, they're saying it's batteries, lithium batteries, huge banks of them. But the fact of the matter is when, that means that what, the only time you can charge the batteries are, is when you are also supplying the city and the industries with their electricity because you can't charge the batteries when the wind isn't blowing or the sun isn't shining. So that means you have to build three times as much capacity in wind and solar as you would have to have in gas or nuclear or coal or hydroelectric. So you're, you're talking about massive amounts of infrastructure for these batteries to support wind and solar. My, uh, my other question is solar panels. Do they run out of efficacy at some point? Do they have to be replaced at some juncture in their lifetime? Yes, I have a and, full solar system here in my home in Cabo Pulmo and Baja, like, along with all the other houses here. They last about 20 years at best. Okay, and then Whereas where a nuclear they... plant will run for 80 years, a coal plant will run for 50 to 60 years, and so will a gas plant. So you have to replace the solar three times as often as you do with the more reliable technology. And my other question is, when you replace a solar panel, for instance, off of your house, where does the dejected, you know, the, the bad one go? Where does it go? What happens to it? Goes to the landfill. So it's not like these are just beautiful solar panels that stay there forever and don't take up any space underground because eventually they do go into the landfill? Yes, and the blades on the wind turbines cannot be recycled either because they're made of fiberglass, so they cut them into pieces and bury them. I've seen the photos of them doing it. So uh, all of this talk of green energy really is they they omit a lot of stuff. They omit the green. I'm talking about the, the people who are really enthusiastically behind this green energy movement. They omit a lot of facts. They And, and, and I, I do want to point out, by the way, that you're not alone from going really pro into or being aggressively supportive of nuclear energy. Michael Schellenberger, who yep. was another environmentalist in California, who was a journalist, uh, has also gotten behind nuclear energy in a big, big way. What, why, why, I, I understand that you said, you know, they're trying to use it as a boogeyman and, you know, they made a TV series out of Chernobyl to scare the heck out of everyone. And, and that was a horrific thing that happened, but that wasn't on U.S. soil. That was in Russia. Okay. So, or the Soviet Union at the time. Um, and so, and then there's Three Mile Island. And so they use those events to say, see, this is why we can't have nuclear. Where is the, where is the, the real where's the messaging on nuclear going wrong why isn't this 
or, or, or is it on the upswing? Are we seeing more of the positive messaging here coming through? Not in North America or Europe. Uh, there are some countries in Europe that have nuclear energy that wish to keep them running, but Germany just shut down the last three of what was 11 nuclear reactors and is increasing its use of coal and pretending it's not. So that's the kind of mess you get into when you shut down your nuclear plants. Russia and China and India are all going full bore on nuclear. They're building tens of plants at once in, in those countries. And Russia in particular is the most advanced in third generation or whatever you call, want to call it, breeder technology, fast, fast reactors, which use the waste from the first go around of using the fuel as fuel. Uranium-238 can be turned into plutonium-239 in the reactor because of the flux of neutrons in there. And yeah, that, can then, that can then be used as a fuel. And, and uh, I, I spent six years with the Clean and Safe Energy Coalition sponsored by the Nuclear Energy Institute in Washington. So I learned so much more than anybody would ever want to know. But what I did learn is that nuclear energy is virtually limitless in terms of human civilization time span. It just will go forever into the future. And it will be the future, especially when fossil fuels become scarce. And it'd be better if they didn't become scarce. So it'd be better if we used nuclear where we could, which is for everything stationary, steel, steel, making steel, all buildings, anything that isn't moving can be put on an electric cable and you can produce either electricity or heat. Whereas moving things like big tr trucks and airplanes, there's not much choice other than to use a liquid or gaseous fuel. Well, uh, you know, I, I know that you are have um, come out against a, a, a lot of what's proposed in the Green New Deal, because as you mentioned, we can't have airplanes that run on electricity. They need to run on fuel. Um, where, where do you think this passion on the green side is coming from? Why, for instance, the title of your book, and, and by the way, I just want to point out this quick anecdote. I, I told my daughter, I was talking to you today, and I, she's 14. I showed her the cover of your book, and she said, he's right. They are. I mean, even she can see it, that she's, you know, they're trying to scare people. And for some reason, she's just not scared. She doesn't buy into this. I don't really know why. But um, in your book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, we hear about it all the time. We hear from AOC and her group, the green uh, marchers, that we're all going to die in a matter of years, that the earth is going to come to an end in a matter of years if we don't do something. And that quote unquote something seems to be spending trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to immediately convert us all to electric vehicles, uh, electric school buses, no gas stoves, all of these mandates that seem to me would not make life better for us. What, what do you say to AOC? It's impossible to say anything to AOC that would, would change anything. Uh, the fact is, though, the irony of the whole thing is we're living in one of the coldest periods in the history of the Earth. This is an ice age called the Pleistocene. That's why both poles are covered with ice. Until this ice age came on 2.6 million years ago is where they say, okay, now we're in an ice age. 
Before that, for 200 million plus years, there was no ice and it was much warmer. And life thrived through that whole period. I mean, there was the dinosaur extinction 65 million years ago. That was an asteroid hitting the Earth. That wasn't global warming. But the Earth was warm then, all those years. The, more, the, 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 the previous ice age was called the Karoo, K-A-R-O-O. It lasted 100 million years, from 350 to 250 million years ago. The one before that in the Silurian period was much shorter, more, more like maybe 10 million years. This one's only 2.6 million years on, and there is no evidence whatsoever that it will end. None. It, all the evidence points to it continuing, as we are now on the 80,000-year downward slope of temperature that will lead us to the next... Uh, major glacial advance. There's been more than 40 of them during the period. So people just don't have any clue about the times or things or what's going on. The other thing that's ironic is that CO2 fell to its lowest level in the history of the Earth during the most recent glacial maximum, which was about 20,000 years ago. Then it warmed up for 10,000 years, and 10,000 years ago we came into the Holocene interglacial period, which is where we are now, but the Earth has been cooling for the past 6,000 years, net cooling. But it cycles on cycles on cycles. So right now, we're in what would be expected to be a 500-year slight warming period. Because before that, there was a slight 500-year cooling period. Before that, a warming period. Before The Roman warm period was 2,000 years ago. The medieval warm period was 1,000 years ago. I think the ago. overarching point that you're are. making is that here we are in 2023, and everyone thinks that this moment that we're in, that the moment that we're living in now is the most important moment in history. And it's it's tumultuous and and we can't survive it and we're not resilient enough. And in spite of everything that's going to that's come before us, somehow right now is the pivotal moment in the universe's existence. And, you know, it's that way for a lot of ideologies. Like right yeah, now is yes. the most important. Yes, this is the they, time where everything's unfair. They, they've got it right, except they've got it backwards, 180 degrees backwards. This is a really important point in the history of life because humans learned to use fossil fuels and start restoring the CO2 in the atmosphere in the oceans, which was lost over the past billions of years, but especially during the past 500 million years, when the carbonaceous forests came into being, they turned into coal and all the carbon that the trees sucked up and got turned into coal was lost to the fluid systems of air and water, lost in the ground. But most importantly, were the shellfish, the forms of life that evolved in the Cambrian explosion, multicellular life emerged. Most of it was like a jellyfish. They didn't have any shells. Many of them learned to make shells out of carbon dioxide and calcium, calcium carbonate. Limestone is of life origin, and the Earth's crust is full of it. The, the White Cliffs of Dover are the fossilized remains, the calcareous remains of microscopic plankton called coccolithophores. And all of the dolomite and all of the marble Marble is also calcium carbonate that's been made harder by the pressure of being deep in the ground. So 100 million billion tons of carbon as carbon dioxide had been removed from the atmosphere over the last half billion years. And it went from 6,000 parts per million 
to the most recent glaciation, the reason it goes lower during cold periods is because the oceans hold more CO2 and other gases as well as they get colder. Whereas when they get warm, they emit gases. It's an equilibrium with the atmosphere, depending on the temperature difference, etc. But right now, we are at one of the lowest points of CO2 in the history of the world, even with our CO2 emissions. But then the kicker is, every molecule of CO2 we emit into the atmosphere came from there in the first place and got lost in sediments and turned into either fossil fuels, gas and oil are from the bottom of the ocean, where that's, that's why so much of the oil is in the Great Plains, because that was a sea bottom at one time. And the coal was made by forests and, and all the trees and plants, etc. That That was carbon that came out of the atmosphere. We're just putting it back. We're restoring the most important element in the whole world for life, which is carbon dioxide. We are carbon-based life. Organic chemistry is the chemistry of carbon. Inorganic chemistry is the chemistry of every other element besides carbon, because carbon is special, because it is what life is made out of. And then so you is, add. Is there is there any part of the green philosophy that you agree with? Is there any level of what they are putting out there in terms of carbon dioxide, CO2 emissions being bad for people to breathe in that, you know, the gas stoves can create asthma and children or hurt children who are born with asthma. I mean, is there any part of their platform with which you agree? If there's one species that can withstand a little bit of smoke in the atmosphere, it's humans, because we lived in caves with wood fires for thousands of years, tens of thousands of years. So that that's, I, I surely believe that's why people can smoke six, 25 cigarettes a day for 50 years and not die, because we are actually... Uh, in, Some of them die, doctor. Of, well, many of them do, yes, but I mean, it takes that to do it. it, it a gas stove emits almost pure carbon dioxide and, and, and water. That's about, that's because natural gas is cleaned before it's put in a pipe. That's one of the problems with, with oil and with coal, coal in particular. You can't, you can't take stuff out of it easily because it's not, not, it doesn't flow. But whereas gas goes into a big factory before it's put into the pipe and all the impurities are removed from it. So it is basically pure CH4 and those turn into carbon dioxide by the carbon joining an oxygen that's in the air in your house, and mm -hmm. and 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 uh, the H comes from water, it, uh, and the, the H turns into water, H two O. So it it there's there's no reason to ban gas stoves. As a matter of fact, if you if you're using a, a gas stove, you're much more efficient than than using an electric stove, which is run by electricity from a gas plant, because a gas plant is like only 50% efficient, whereas, for example, a gas heater in your home, which they're also trying to ban, is 90% efficient, and you, you don't have to make any electricity to operate it. So it, 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 it's t even completely backwards. And, you know, this the war against plastic is another thing that has been – people believe that it's bad for plastic to be in the, in the water, like as if it's toxic or something. No, we wrap all our food in it. We contain our food in it. We do it to keep it from being contaminated. Plastic is, is neutral. It's like a piece of wood floating in the ocean. Actually, many species of wood are more toxic 
like cedar and 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 uh, redwoods have toxics in them to prevent. So you're fungus. saying that plastic bottles and plastic debris that winds up in the ocean isn't dangerous to the animals that exist in the ocean? Its benefits far outweigh any dangers. One of its benefits is that it acts as a floating reef, like a piece of driftwood does. All kinds of species attach themselves to it, barnacles and mussels, etc. Crabs get on there. Also, plastic comes in different shapes than driftwood does. Comes in shapes that can be habitat, like a bottle, where a crab can go inside and make a home of it. There's nothing wrong with that. And then, but the most surprising one is the fact that seabirds choose appropriate size and shaped pieces of plastic to give to their chicks, and then to when the chicks fledge for their whole lives, they are now using appropriately sized and shaped pieces of plastic as a digestive aid in their gizzard, in the same way that land birds use pebbles. And we would never swallow a mouthful of pebbles, but if we, had, if we were a bird, we would, because <laughs> birds don't have teeth and therefore can't chew their food. Some raptors can tear their food, like with the curved beak, like eagles and things, but most birds don't have that. And so they have a gizzard, which is a second stomach, uh, they have a stomach like ours, which has acidic in it to digest, easy to digestible. And it, it's interesting when a, when, a, when a squid is fed to a chick or when, a, when an adult bird eats a squid, like they're maybe six, eight inches long, they keep the beak in their gizzard as a digestive aid because it's a hard, perf- just right shaped thing, right size thing. So it's actually beneficial to seabirds to have these plastic bits. But Greenpeace says adult albatross are feeding plastic to their chicks, mistaking it for food. And that is a lie. They don't mistake plastic for food. They know what they know that otherwise, why aren't they feeding driftwood to their chicks? You know, David Attenborough has, has a young student, female student holding a plastic bag saying this was in the, in the stomach of, this chick that died. They're not feeding plastic bags to their chicks. No one's got a picture of that. But there is one really good photograph that's in my book of a mother, or actually the males and females both feed feed their chicks and bring appropriate articles. Uh, in, in the sea, there, because there's no pebbles, pumice is their favorite digestive aid because it floats to the surface. It's, it's a rock basically, but it's like sandpaper too, because right. it's, it's, it's like, a, like a sponge. Very porous, yeah. Yes, but, it, it, but it's gritty too. And so that's a really good, but there aren't always uh, pumice around when this, uh, volcanoes under the sea happen once in a while in different places, but that's their favorite thing. Then driftwood is next. Pieces of driftwood are the right size and shape. Uh, the squid beak, if they feed them a squid, they, I guess they know that's going to be part of their digestive aid. And uh, and nuts, nuts that float, like from mangrove trees that are hanging over the water, uh, they use those. So it it and, and nobody is is telling people about this. And it, you can read it in my book and see it in my book. But they put pictures on the internet saying this is part of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. There's only one image. All the others that call it call themselves. The Great Pacific Garbage Batch are paintings, 
you know, they're, they're, they're made up. They're, they're not pictures. They're not photographs. But the one photograph that says part of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, it's this huge patch of debris on the ocean. Mm-hmm. Massive. Yes. I looked in the background and there were mountains. Well, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch isn't supposed to be near any mountains. It's supposed to be in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. So are, are you denying the existence of this patch? Oh, yes, of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. It doesn't exist. You can read my book and you can see a photograph taken by a German satellite that shows very clearly that it doesn't exist. They're roofing a house next door. <laughs> so the, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that uh, there is no Great Pacific Garbage Patch. You can see the Hawaiian Islands clearly in this composite, which shows a cloudless Pacific because there's clouds moving around all over the place, but they take a picture you know, 10 pictures a day for a year, and then they take the places where you can see the ocean and put them all together. And there's so, no Pacific Garbage Patch. And that, that one that says part of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is actually from the tsunami in Japan. That's why there's mountains in the background. 18,000 well, people died there. And they're saying it's part of the Pacific Garbage Patch, and I think that's sacrilege to, wow. to lie like that because they know darn well that it isn't the Great Pacific Garbage Patch because there isn't one. Well, it won't, won't, wouldn't be the first time that photographs are used as as propaganda. It's it, your 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 point of view is fascinating. You 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 are a font of knowledge, and the book again is "Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom." Patrick Moore is the author. It's available wherever Amazon, wherever you find. Amazon your is the only place. Oh, yeah. is it the only place? Yes. They give, okay. you a, they give you a, a, a better uh, royalty if you go with them exclusively. And, uh-huh. and I've, got, I've got like nearly 3,000 reviews now. It's just a few away from 3,000 reviews and a, a 4.7 out of 5 rating. I'm looking at it right now. 2,940 ratings, and you are almost a solid 5-star. You're at 4.7. You're correct. You can also get it as an audio book, which I did. And uh, the other, your other book is Confessions of a Greenpeace Dropout, uh, the meaning of sense of a, the making of a sensible environmentalist. So people can check that both of those out on Amazon. Uh, appreciate your time so much today. And there's just a lot to chew on there. Dr. Moore, thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. I'd be glad to come on because there's many other subjects to discuss. I, I, we'll have you back. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank Dr. Patrick Moore. Clearly, he is a fountain of information. He's got strong opinions. He's got decades of experience. Um, He sees this overarching issue of climate and the environment in a way that is rare and unique. And I would say that, again, Michael Schellenberger is on this page. I want to say I'm not sure I agree with everything he said. But he has far more knowledge than I do on these topics. And I think my great takeaway from this and what I hope you take away from this interview is that there is balance in the world. And this this effort to go completely green in a matter of years, not decades, not centuries, in a matter of years, and to claim that we are going to undo any damage that has been done and that now is the time I think is short-sighted. <laughs> and I mean that, I guess, uh, literally and figuratively. I think that we need a broader look and a, a more varied discussion between 
people from all areas, solar, wind, nuclear, natural gas, coal, all of it needs to be considered. And he has some really unique things to say about this that I hadn't heard before. So I'm grateful to have his point of view, and we will have him back to discuss other issues. In the meantime, thanks for listening to The Michelle Tafoya Show. As always, be brave and do good. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.